Welcome, friends. Welcome those of you who gathered with us online. We're so glad that you're here, and I'm glad to see several of you here as well. Thanks for joining us this morning. If you're new with us, we'd love to get to know you a little bit. Um, if you're comfortable filling out a communication card sometime before you leave, that would be helpful. Help us to introduce ourselves to you. If you're watching online, and um, there's a chat bar on the side of the screen. You can say hello. I hope that you'll let us know that you're here. It's so much easier to keep in touch if we, if we can, you know, keep in touch. That part, that's the hard part. Uh, this is the third Sunday of the year, and we're doing this series called New Year, New Resolve. As we start the new year, we've talked about structures, like routines or habits or rhythms, both for ourselves and for our family. And then we've talked about what will motivate us going forward, what will animate us, what will move us, what will be the reason why we do what we do or don't do what we're not doing, the reason why we spend our time doing certain things and not other things. We're thinking through our lives very basically is what we're doing as we kick off this new year. And we're asking, what are the big pieces in my life I need to prioritize? What are the structures I need to build around these priorities so that they continue, even in the absence of some of the structures we've depended on for years, like, you know, school and some of the familiar structural pieces of our culture? And then, what do I want to move me? What do I want to motivate me? What do I want my reason for, for what I'm doing to be? Specifically, last week I asked, do you want it to be fear or trust? Fear is like the it's like the, the currency of our culture. Um, we will be pulled into that naturally uh, unless we make really conscious decisions uh, that are different than that. And, and then somebody asked me, could that be expanded to like hate or love or anger or love? Sure. Or somebody said, I got a lot of reasons to be angry. And they did. And it's legitimate and it's valid. But the question remains, do you want that anger to animate you? Do you want that anger to be the reason that gets you out of bed and, and moves you through the day? No, you don't. You don't want that to be your motivation for what you're doing. So these are the questions we're asking. This is important. It's naive. I think it's naive to think that we're not being affected by the massive societal changes that have happened over the last year and continue to happen. It's naive to think that you're immune to that, that I'm immune to that. The truth is we are thinking different things than we thought a year ago today. And we're saying, we're talking about different things than we were talking about a year ago today. End of January 2020. We're acting differently than we did a year ago today. We have different routines. We are literally living differently than we were a year ago. School's different. Shopping for food is different. Going to church is different. In other words, we are changing. We are being changed, like it or not. So here's the, here's the challenge. If this personal change happens and we're not aware of it, we're not paying attention to it, we look up and we find ourselves in a quandary. We're confused. We're baffled. We're not sure what's going on. Uh, we feel dejected. We experience this constant low-grade frustration, and we're not sure which way to go. If the change is happening and we're not paying attention to it. On the other hand, if change happens and we do pay attention, and I don't just mean to the change that's happening out there, but to, to the, the way, what's going on in here, 
if we're paying attention to what's going on in here, we can know ourselves and not lose ourselves. And we will find the way. We'll find the way. Today we're asking, what is the ability or the skill that we need to develop in order to grow with purpose, with intentionality, in order to build back the structures that will support the things that are most important to us, in order to act on the right motivations, like trust or love, not fear or anger? What is it going to take to not get washed out by all of the constant changes, not be carried away by things that are all different? Well, here's the answer. It's going to take (laughs) self-control. I didn't tell anybody what I was talking about this week because I didn't think anyone would come. It's going to take self-control. One author calls it the taming of your thoughts, and it is also being in control of your actions. That's what we mean by self-control. Being in control of what you're thinking and what you're doing. When storms come, when life feels chaotic, when it feels as if the very ground beneath our feet is shaking and it's unstable, We need to be watchful. We need to be self-controlled. We don't want to be brainwashed. We don't want to succumb to delusion. We don't want to be carried away by these cultural currents. So how does one counter such powerful forces? What what is even possible? How does one develop watchfulness and self-control? That might sound like a completely overwhelming question, especially if you're not a morning person, right? Or a Navy SEAL. <clears throat> sounds really intense. How do you develop self-control? It sounds like a question that would be asked in a, maybe in an athletic context or maybe a highly disciplined military con- con- uh, context. But here's the good news. We're not talking about some kind of elite training. This is essentially what we're going to talk about this morning. The fruit of the Holy Spirit of God. That's what we're talking about. The fruit of the Holy Spirit. Here's Holy Spirit 101. This is a brand new concept. There is the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God cannot just, doesn't just lead us, but the Spirit of God can fill us. The Holy Spirit fills the 120 or so followers of Christ at Pentecost. We read about that in Acts chapter 2. Later in Acts, the Holy Spirit fills Gentile Christians. These are non-Jewish followers of Jesus. This blows everybody's mind. And is the evidence that the Spirit of God is for all people, which shouldn't have surprised them because prophets in the past had prophesied this very thing, including Joel in chapter 2 says, he speaks for God saying, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. All people includes us. And so when people are filled with the Holy Spirit, there are specific byproducts. There is, to use a phrase from Paul, there is fruit of the Spirit. And here's what Paul writes to the church in Galatia. This is a beautiful passage. Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 13. We'll put it on the screen. I'm going to read it pretty slowly. It's just beautiful. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. He's going to contrast these two. 
Verse 17, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Let me pause there. That's an interesting phrase. Paul basically means that if the Holy Spirit is guiding you, if you're if you're being led by the Spirit, you're going to want to do what the Spirit wants. You're going to want to do what God wants. So obeying God will no longer be a, a matter of like resentful obedience to rules and law. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're going you're gonna to want to do what God wants. That's what he means by if you're led by the Spirit, you're not be under the law. Verse 19, the acts of the flesh are obvious. And he's going to list a bunch of them here. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace, forbearance. Sometimes that's translated patience. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That is surprising. Against such things, there is no law. There's no rules against these things, right? The Spirit will lead us abundantly into these things. So the fruit or what comes naturally as a byproduct of being led and filled by the Spirit is things that you would probably not be super surprised to hear. Love and gentleness and peace and joy. Is joy possible? Yeah, it is. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Is patience possible? Yeah, it's a fruit of the Spirit. You think of a holy person, you think of a patient person. And self-control at the end of that list. Seriously? What if, what if I'm not a type A person? What if I'm not like a really disciplined person? What if I like to sleep in in the, in the morning or whatever? That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about being filled with the Spirit and the Spirit of God empowering, enabling this holy quality. What is it? Self-control. The ability to be in control of what you think and what you do. And that is good news, friends. It's good news, and it's critically needed, because as the public structures supporting our society and our culture are slow to return or may never return, we need to establish personal, personal structures, family routines, new rhythms, new, <clears throat> excuse me, holy habits, and we're going to want to be motivated by good things like trust and love, not fear, and all of this is going to require self-control, like a massive dose of, of self-control, the ability to control our thoughts and, and our actions. And Paul says that our flesh, that is our base selfish desires, and the Spirit of God are in conflict. They're working against each other. But we are not at the mercy of our selfish instincts. And this is a really important distinction between you and your dog, right? You, your animals have instincts. People have a will. 
and the ability to make decisions. And so we're not at the mercy of our instincts. We are made in the image of God. We can be filled with the Spirit of God. We can be led by the Spirit of God. And we can actually live lives that are characterized by things like patience and joy and peace and even self-control. This doesn't mean we kill our passions. It doesn't mean we ignore our emotions. It just means we order them correctly. That's what it means. All right, so 2021 is a year when we're going to need a lot of self-control. That's just my forecast. That's my expectation. 2021 is going to be a year when we're going to need a whole lot of self-control. And the good news is that self-control is a fruit of the Spirit of God who can guide you and fill you and empower you to live supernaturally. This is good news. This means that this is a gift that you receive and that you learn to develop and that you partner with through obedience, but it is not your own generative power. This is not something you have to, like, come up with on your own, right? You ask for it. You receive it. That is the gift of the Spirit. And then you develop your cooperation with with the Spirit through obedience to the Spirit, right? Recently, we got a, a new car. It's a used car, but it's new to us. Um, our other cars have, at the minimum, a quarter million miles on them, and uh, lots of things are breaking pretty consistently. They're not what you would consider reliable cars all of the time. And my wife is continually getting up in the middle of the night and driving to hospitals all around the region to help women deliver babies. And that is not a good situation for an unreliable car. And so, um, thankfully, we were able to get this, this new-to-us car. And compared to my 20-year-old pickup truck, this car is fancy, <laughs> super fancy. I mean, like power windows. <laughs> it's amazing. You push a button. No, every time I drive this car, I learn something new that this car does. I had no idea that this car could do these things. Like a couple nights ago, I'm driving down 193, which is a really windy road, and it's foggy. And when I turn left, headlights go left. And when I turn right, the headlights turn right. And I think my mind is playing with me. I think I'm imagining things. So I start swerving like this. And it's true. The, the lights turn the way the steering wheel turns. Can you believe that? It's crazy. I didn't even know that that happened. Uh, maybe lots of cars do that. Um, but here's why I'm telling you this story. It's a silly, it's a silly metaphor. I was struggling to come up with something. We're talking about the need for self-control. A person who has this Holy Spirit-enabled self-control is a powerful person. This is a Jedi-like quality, right? You're not getting carried away with all the whims of culture and the pressures of the environment because you have self-control. No matter what the world throws at you, it doesn't change you. Why? Because you have self-control. You're able to control what you think and what you do. Friends, this is the kind of practical holiness that changes a room. This is the kind of holiness that changes a family if dad's got self-control, if mom's got self-control. This is the kind of um, holiness that changes a future. I mean, fundamentally, right? If you're making decisions with a clear mind, a reasoned heart, To have this God-enabled ability to say no to destructive desires of the flesh, 
That's powerful. That would eradicate most of the pain that most of us live with. It's like a car with a powerful engine. This is what I'm trying to use this analogy for. If self-control can be compared to a powerful engine, doesn't matter what you throw at this vehicle, it can handle it. That's my thinking. Then watchfulness is like the headlights that show the way forward. Watchfulness is the, is the way that pulls us into the, the way of self-control. It points the way to self-control. I know it's a silly metaphor, but I'm trying to create a helpful image. You can't just, in other words, you can't just decide instantly, I'm going to be self-controlled. This is something that you develop over time as you submit to God and as you grow in your faith. But you can decide to pay attention. You can. You can decide right now to pay attention. To look at the right thing. Right? You can be watchful. That's, that's the biblical word for it. And as you practice being watchful, you're pointing the way to self-control. You're starting down the road to self-control. Paying attention, being watchful, being here, being now, is the beginning of self-control. Don't allow yourself to be overwhelmed and thrown back by this idea that, that this is possible. This idea of self-control is possible. This is something that we can grow into. And I would say A or the first step is to be watchful, is to pay attention. So let me try to give you some very practical handles on how to be watchful. Right? These are five just really simple practical things that I think will help us in an in a intentional move towards the development, ultimately, of self-control, which I'm arguing is going to just be a massive need for us and everybody in this, in this coming year. And here I'm drawing from the work of a 7th century monk named St. Hesychius, St. Hesychius the priest. He's a, from Egypt. And he wrote this beautiful book that's translated, Love of the Beautiful. And it includes instruction for young men who are going to him seeking wisdom for how to live a holy life. In other words, these young men come to him full of juice, wanting to uh, stay away from the destructive patterns of the culture, but not knowing how to be self-controlled, not knowing how to be holy. And so they come to him and say, will you teach us how to be a holy man? And what he teaches them is how to be watchful, how to pay attention super amazing to me and super practical. Here's the five ways he teaches. One, scrutinize mental images. Hesychios points out that only by means of a mental image can Satan fabricate an evil thought and then use that thought to lead somebody astray. This is what we see Satan doing in his temptations of Jesus in the desert. He's using a mental image to try to lead Jesus astray. What does he do? See that rock? What if it's a loaf of bread? And now that you can't unsee that, right? Now there's this image that's associated with the temptation and challenge to prove his love or to prove that God loves him. See the temple? See the highest point? Imagine yourself jumping off of that. Oh, now the image is there. Do you think God would catch you or not? He's, he's, he's in Satan, this is the way he works. He introduces images into our mind and then uses these images to try to, con to pervert us away from, turn us away from um, love and obedience to Jesus. 
Satan's going to use any image in your mind by perverting it, any image. The strategy becomes all the more dangerous, the more perverted images are already in your mind for him to work with, right? This is why it's important to guard your mind from the images that you see. If Satan walks into a context and there's just a plethora of perverted images to draw from, he's just going to, it's a playground, right? He's just got an arsenal of stuff to take advantage of. Images are massively powerful in our time because we're such a visual culture. We're super image-driven. Think of how many instructions you receive throughout the day that don't even include words. They're just symbols, right? Icons on your phone is an example of what I'm talking about. Signs on a bathroom door. Symbols on your dashboard. There's all these symbols on this dashboard, Steve, of this new car. I have no idea what they're talking about. I have no idea what, what it means because I don't read instruction books. So, um, so there's outside images, especially violent images and sexual images that are especially hard to unsee. They remain for so long as images in our mind. We need to scrutinize them. That means we need to look at them uh, evaluatively and say, that is not true. That is not good. That does not belong. I don't want that here. Our culture has become largely accepting. The opposite of scrutinizing is just casually accepting. Our culture has been really wide open at accepting violent and sexual imagery. It is everywhere. It's just everywhere. As parents, we're constantly trying to navigate this this dilemma. Kids want to see this movie because everybody else is seeing this movie, and it's okay. There's only a couple of scenes or only brief, you know, examples of violence or whatever. Can't unsee that stuff, right? It's a big deal. It's not a big it's not, People say it's not a big deal. I'd say it is a big deal. Taming your thoughts begins with the images that you let into your mind, and then a big part of self-control, of controlling your actions, is scrutinizing the images that are in your mind, being watchful, paying attention to what's actually happening in your mind. Which of these images are false and destructive, and which of these images are true and good? We need way more of the true and good. Well, I already got a bunch of junk in my mind. I know. So do I. And you can't really unsee stuff. But what you can do is pour a lot more good images and overwhelm the twisted images, and then you can begin to to choose to focus on what is good. In fact, this is what Paul writes to the church in Philippi. This is Philippians 4.8. He ends his letter by saying, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent and praiseworthy, think about such things. That's what you think about. Think about those things. So first way to grow into watchfulness or to be watchful is to scrutinize the images that are in our heads. Second way to be watchful is to nurture stillness. Uh, It means to shut out distractions, the distractions within and all of the distractions on the outside, like media, like endless communication, a constant cycle of like just this constant news cycle of drama, drama, drama. Lately, it's been the endless communication that's really been exhausting to me. Just everywhere I go, everything's connected, (laughs) and there's, I can't get away from the, I don't need any more notifications. I need more stillness. I need more stillness. I need, 
I need the kind of um, insights and peace and wisdom that comes in stillness, not in notifications. The endless communication is exhausting to me. Walking helps. This takes time to develop this nurturing stillness. It takes time. A few times I've gone away for two or three days at a time to try to nurture stillness, and I haven't experienced it at all. Just been noise in my head the entire time. It's super disappointing. I feel like I invest time and money, and I don't get anything out of it. Somebody recently that I'm with, uh, in relationship with, they tried a spiritual discipline. They said it didn't work for me. It takes time. That's why we nurture stillness. You can't just turn it on in most cases. Here's how I nurture stillness. I get up before everybody else does. It's quiet. The dog's not even awake. Right? I, I often drive in silence. And I resist having something on in the background when I am at home. If you can practice this, you can arrive at a place of silence more quickly. You can actually learn. You can build in moments of silence throughout the day and have a relatively um, successful experience with it. But it takes practice. So second way to nurture watchfulness or to, to a second way to be watchful is to nurture stillness. Here's a third way. I'll start speeding up a little bit. A third way to be watchful is to repeat a short prayer or a mantra Uh, The prayer that the ancients recommend more than any other prayer is called the Jesus Prayer. And at its simplest form, it's just, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. It's the Jesus Prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. You pray this over and over and over like you're breathing, and it becomes more and more natural. I've prayed this prayer in a little bit of a different form, the form that I learned it in, for 20 years. And it just comes out. The other day I was walking up a sidewalk to a front door of somebody's house for a meeting and I, I realized without even knowing, I, I realized I'm praying the Jesus prayer. I'm praying, Lord Jesus Christ, Lamb of God, have mercy on me. Lord Jesus Christ, Lamb of God, have mercy on me. It's a way of being watchful. It's a way of being here now. It's a way of saying, I'm not sure what's on the other side of that door, but I want to be really attentive. I don't want to be thinking about What's happening yesterday or tomorrow? I want to be here. I want to I mean, I be watchful. An author that I'm reading compares praying the Jesus prayer to keeping your mind on a short leash and keeping the mind held tight, not letting it wander off. So a way that we can do this is, is with a short prayer. It doesn't have to be the Jesus prayer. Sometimes I just pray, Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. I'm constantly aware of my need for his help. <laughs> Um, and sometimes that just keeps me focused. Here's a fourth way to stay watchful. It's to face reality. Face it. Face reality. It can be any reality, but specifically the ancient church talks about the reality of death. Uh, the kind of, this kind of wisdom is just all throughout ancient Christianity. St. Benedict teaches his monks to remind themselves every day that they're going to die. And this sounds kind of morbid, but it's actually remarkably clarifying. It's clarifying. Like my awareness this last week that my daughter was going to return to college in three days and then in two days and then in one day and then tomorrow morning, right? Do you know that I've been having trouble with it getting dark? It's just being so dark. Uh, I've been having trouble getting up at the time that I normally get up, early in the morning. I had no trouble getting out of bed at 4.30 this morning because of my awareness that she was leaving. 
right? I had one more morning. It was my, it was the facing the reality, being watchful, okay, being watchful to the reality of, in this case, a very short amount of time, and it led to self-control. Do you see the connection? I didn't struggle to get out of bed this morning. I had this ability to control my actions. And it's rooted, it started in, in the awareness of the shortness of time. Um, I got to talk to my mentor this week on the phone. He lives in Birmingham. He's 81 years old, and his wife is sick, and he referred to her expected time of life in terms of months this time when we talk, not in terms of years. Months, not years. He's 81, but he is seeing life so clearly. I mean, so clearly, especially his thoughts and his actions. There's a lot of control about what he's thinking about and the way he's living right now. There's an intentionality to his day. He's not getting lost in, you know, in projects that don't matter. He's facing reality, specifically the reality of our impermanence. So, and, and facing reality, it's not limited to things like a child leaving home or a loved one's shortness of life. Being watchful means you're just facing whatever is real. You're facing whatever is happening here now. That's what I mean by facing reality, just facing it, not, not distracting yourself from it. We're masters at distraction. But when it comes to facing reality, it becomes really clear that most of the drama, probably all of the drama, all of the consuming conversations, the endless opinions, the extreme images that are searing us from our screens, that's just really not what matters to me. At the end of the day, that stuff doesn't matter to me. I'm easily drawn into it, but it's not what's important to me. So I'm not talking about escaping from reality. I'm talking about facing reality. This, and th- this clarity, it, it points the way. Facing the reality is like headlights, pointing the way, going, see what's real, and then self-control more easily follows. And then a fifth and final way to be watchful, according to this 7th century monk, Hesychius, is to focus on God. Focus on God. Doesn't mean we ignore material things. It means we look beyond the material to the always present reality of God. We focus on God. See the whole picture. Okay, I see the whole picture, but I'm focusing on Josh, right? I see everybody, but I'm focusing on one, right? It's not ignoring other things. It's choosing what you're going to focus on. doesn't mean we build a false divide between the spiritual parts of my life and the non-spiritual parts of my life. It means we look at all of life, but we look and focus on God in the midst of all of it. All of it. Our work our relationships, our pain, our present moment. Focus on God. All right, I'll sum up with this. 2021, we're going to need a lot of self-control. We're going to need a lot of self-control. Sounds challenging. What's the good news? The good news is that self-control is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It is a byproduct of being filled and led and by the Spirit, and by continually submitting to Jesus as Lord. Now, that's a big process, and there's a lot of things involved in that. There's a lot of pieces. But here's a very practical step into experiencing self-control. Pay attention. Be watchful. If, if I need better self-control at home, do you know how I start? By paying attention at home. If I need better self-control at work, I start by paying attention at work, paying attention, being watchful. If I need better self-control over the weekend, 
because that's always where I slip up or whatever, then I need to not mentally unplug and lower the guard and get all lax over the week. I need to pay attention throughout the weekend. I need to pay attention. Scrutinize mental images. Nurture stillness. Repeat a prayer. Face reality. Focus on God. I hope that's helpful. And may God lead us this year to be holy people, full of his spirit, the fruit of his spirit, including self-control. God, we look to you for help. Each of us with our own challenges and concerns this morning. Help us to be clear-minded. And give us the strength, Lord, to think and to do what is good. In Jesus' name, amen.